Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make places worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. Today we're featuring another great session from the Festival of Place, our online event series, recorded in November 2020. I hope you like it. Hi, and welcome to this afternoon session uh, with May Al-Karini about challenging the status quo in the construction industry and the circular economy. My name is Christine Murray. I'm the director of the Festival of Place. Um, And uh, I really wanted to invite May here to talk about uh, her business with Globechain. Um, May is the CEO and founder of a reuse marketplace that connects corporates to charities, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, which generates social impact data. So we've talked about this week about social impact. We've talked about um, waste and we talked about uh, climate change and the need to, to, to do better. And May, in many ways, brings all of this together. Uh, she's previously worked within the investment banking and asset management industry, fundraising money for venture capital, property and hedge funds for the last 10 years, totaling £120 million in funds raised. In 2015, May set up Globechain after seeing a demand for a new online circular economy within the waste management industry after her own bank employer expressed a need to reuse items in a more collaborative way. Since then, Globechain has over 10,000 members working with some of the world's largest brands across multiple sectors, including retail, construction, hospitality, and medical and is growing a large network of charities nationally and internationally. Last year, 5.1 million kilos were diverted from landfill and redistributed within the UK, as well as Sierra Leone, Guinea, Libya, and the Ukraine, saving two million pounds to charitable causes. So an amazing story. I can't wait to hear. Uh, and I really want to welcome you here to uh, to share that, that story, that journey with us and, and your insights. So welcome, May. Thanks for seeing. Thanks, everybody. And hello. Hope you've had lunch. So I'm going to share my screen and um, start the presentation. So just so you know, I'll I'll run through um, Globechain and what we do. But also, I wanted to add a bit of a twist to it and show how we technically solve this concept of circular economy that didn't exist when we first started into um, the construction world and the built environment because there was a couple of different things we had to do. So hopefully if you're a contractor, developer, somebody starting a business, somebody that works in real estate, um, hopefully you can take a few tips of yourselves, whether that's you trying to implement something internally in the built environment or actually you work already and you're trying to work out how to bring in innovation. Um, Well, I can't see the questions so I think Christine's going to help with that at the end and um, and I'll let you know when I'm getting close to the end of the presentation as well so um, waste everybody produces it um, but we don't really know how much it costs us the breakdown of it um, typically within like retail and construction um, sectors and um, if in the next 30 years we'll basically um, dispose of 3.3 billion tons and I was trying to work out what that equates to visually because that number is so huge and we worked out it's around a thousand Boeing 747s every day the weight of them being disposed of and construction waste um, being incinerated or landfill um, basically constitutes about 61% and growing 
of of waste that's being disposed of and costs of disposing that is usually two to three percent of the project budget um, within retail whether that's refurbishments or, or fixtures and fittings um, the average retailer spends three million pounds a year because there's no storage there's logistic costs involved in the labor and as you're aware policy and legislation um, are drivers but I wouldn't say were the main drivers um uh, for globe chain or the built environment as we were growing the last couple of years. And as you know, cost of incineration landfill is rising. Um, there's UN climate change targets with respect to carbon emissions and so on. So there's a lot of things going on at the moment in the market to help push um, circular economy, particularly in built environment. So um, as Chrissy mentioned, the reason I set up GlobeChain is because in the bank, we moved offices across the road and they threw away all their furniture. Um, they came around and said, pick your new carpet cut, color tile, your computer, your chair, your table. And I just thought, why is no one digitalized waste and created um, a marketplace or a platform to connect big companies to people who need it to generate impact? Um, five years ago, sustainability wasn't really a word. It was CSR. Um, there was no budget for this. Uh, there was no circular economy and no market cap. So in essence, basically, um, I built it up from scratch, bootstrapped. In fact, um, I spent £800 on my first website, Globechain. Roll on five years. Um, I don't know if many of you are aware of circular economy, but that's grown to a 4.3 trillion industry. Reuse is a name used um, a lot these days. Sustainability is used a lot. Um, and um, companies are really driving a new way of working. So circular models, um, just a brief explanation of that. A linear model is what most companies work off at the moment when they, in very simple terms, they create a product, manufacture it, package it, sell it and then dispose of it. Whereas at each moment in that supply chain now, companies are looking at ways to bring back materials and make um, manufacturing, production, design more circular. So they're reusing, repurposing things. Um, and over the years, we've grown into kind of two different services, um, an external reuse, which is where companies give away items and unneeded assets or equipment to charities, nonprofits and small businesses. Um, and we have an internal reuse and lending platform where basically it allows the company Companies to uh, move and optimize stock and assets internally first rather than buying new. They can track it, they can track the data on that, and they can loan things out as well um, in quite a complex booking system. Um, we do all of that, and at the same time, we collect um, social, economic, and environmental impact data of the giving. Um, in that process, or something called ESG data, environment, social governance data. And this data is used on a quite high level, not just for sustainability reports, but for tax offsetting, which I'll come across and um, talk about later in the built environment, um, and also um, for credit financing, bond risk, share pricing, and potential IPO. So that ESG is becoming more and more valuable for companies to value them with consumers and drivers in the marketplace. Um, what makes us unique is the probably the product itself. Um, we can reduce um, actually a lot more than 60% of waste. 98% of the items listed on the site are collected and reused, with the rest being upcycled, recycled, and a little bit being resold. Um, we're quite famous for less than 24 hours for things being reserved. Um, pickups usually are in the same week or the week after, depending on who wants it. And actually, we're finding the most sought-after items, really, it's five minutes before even alerts go out. The data is collected at the end of the collection 
collection and we create an infographic report for these companies. Um, how it works, say you're in construction, you list some concrete blocks or ceiling tiles or fire doors in bulk. We send out alerts to members, whoever's interested requests it and picks up for free, and then we collect the data on it. And then the ESG data is fed back to the company and they can download it. Um, logistics is usually taken up by the collecting person, and I'll go through a few of those things to do with health and safety and compliance in the built environment later. Um, we, we're also integrating an API logistics system in place, so that basically people can take get um, quotes for things like that. And again, I'll explain the reason why we did that, and it's based on something that we discussed in the built environment as well. So I wanted to just um, give you a brief idea of our business, but also like how we got there with respect to kind of the built environment. So generally um, with um, construction projects or refurbishments, usually there's kind of three ways com uh, companies will uh, reduce their waste. They'll either hire um, skips, they will send it waste to energy through a company, they'll just hire a man and van to pick up the um, the items and that person may resell them or recycle them or they incinerate them. And these are obviously the metrics that people are usually measuring um, waste in at the moment. Right. And typically commercial skips, there's an array and it depends obviously on the company, the volumes and so on. But this is just the general guide of how much it costs for skip hiring. So you could argue that maybe skips are too cheap for companies and it's the easier way to dispose of items. Right. So the way we looked at our model with respect to that construction is basically how much does your project use in skips? Because um, one thing that's really good about construction is that people do know how much waste is disposed of or roughly and materials, 10% more materials are bought on uh, waste construction projects, basically. So if there's any sector that has a rough idea of the waste that they're throwing away, it is construction compared to people in retail and hospitality. So we, we took an example um, like for like because when, when you've got a model like Globe Chain, which is kind of a new business model, so we're classed as a SaaS-enabled marketplace, it's, it requires a lot of behavior change and a lot of uh, change in thinking and um, use of tech, basically, with people that not necessarily would use tech on a day-to-day -day basis because they're on construction sites, for example, or it might be a case that the people working in construction, um, it's never been part of their job role to do something like this. So there's a couple of challenges and obstacles in the way um, to get people changing their mindset, but also taking a risk on something new and innovative. And the way we got around that is we basically said like, okay, if you did eight skips, what does, what's that equivalent to? That's equivalent to potentially a Globe Chain membership. And anything beyond that that you're saving is you're basically making a cost saving. We found that worked by trying to compare like for like with waste costs. Um, waste costs historically are not very transparent because you've got logistical costs, you've got labor costs, you've got landfill tax involved in that, and you've got other costs involved. Um, sometimes the contracts taken up by um, the waste management that could cover everything from cleaning contracts to facilities to procurement. So it's, it's, it's a really tricky area that um, still, I'd say, is a little bit unknown and, um, and it does challenge people in the way they're thinking internally in their organizations about how they're positioning new business models. Um, so the other thing I mentioned was behavior change. Now, um, we looked at kind of 
why people would use something new in the circular economy, particularly in the in in the construction industry. And there were a couple of interesting points that we helped or added value to. One was basically looking at BREEAM points. Um, these, this is a point system that construction companies use. Um, it's huge. It's used for everything, um, energy, water, waste, how sustainable a, um, a building is. And um, an inspector will come and obviously inspect and give points out. Some points would cost more than others um, to gain. So, for example, an energy point might cost um, a, a construction firm a million pounds to implement. For example, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but in, in that sense, whereas another point could be very simple. We found out that um, we were recognized under BREAM to basically allow uh, construction companies to use us as part of their demolition and refurb stage or put us for a point under innovation. So this was one added value that um, people in construction could use us for and gain um, and hit their KPIs with. Um, we were also quick after using the system and gaining trust. We would allow um, a company to trial with us for free a couple of items to test the system. And then from there, the moment that things were requested and the transaction, if you like, happened, um, people realized actually that the technology was quite simple to use and it was quite effortless. So that's another benefit. Um, they were able to use it on their mobile, on a site. Um, they could take a photo and load it later. And there's transparency in our system. One thing in the construction um, world, people wanted to know where things were going, who took it, how did it benefit them. We track that in the system. There's an audit trail of it. And we even tell you where it went, how it helped people, if it helped with upskilling and employment levels. And um, in construction as well, there's um, there's a great area where basically if you reuse items on another site, it used to be classed as a secondary item. Um, actually, through the Environment Agency now, you're allowed to reuse internally on your own projects. Um, and also, if you're giving away and, and um, donating items outside to charities, you can offset on the cost of sales um, on VAT, but also on a depreciation of assets on your corporation tax. So this is one area, actually, that was quite of interest to a lot of the companies, um, but it required us to bring and involved obviously finance people as well as obviously the the project manager the sustainability expert and the person that holds the budget as well um but for sure if it, you're looking at big volumes this could be quite beneficial for a company particularly on the commercial side of things and on on the impact side um, a lot of projects now are required, especially if they're doing something around in a, in a local authority, to hit recycling targets, but also show how they're helping the community um, and hitting the Social Value Act. With the data from the social impact side, companies were able to use that information to basically show how they helped potentially a small business in the area by donating bricks, for example, or old metal, or say the ceramics from the bathrooms and so on. Um, and, um, and also now a lot of companies we're seeing are having circular economy targets or zero waste targets. And this data can be aligned uh, to help them hit those and reduce carbon emissions as well. Um, and also optimizing materials. Internally, we realized uh, people could reuse these materials. There's just no one place to do that. Um, and that was that was an, an added benefit, if you like, for these companies, particularly now. I'd say the last kind of two, three years in construction, 
people were a little bit hesitant of using new technology and new ways of changing. Um, now, I'd say in the last kind of year and a half, most construction firms and people in the built environment are looking at new ways and innovation to do things. So if you're looking at doing something in that area, it's actually a very good time to to, to offer your services there. Um, and value added, there were extra things as well by being tech, basically, that we found um, works really well. Um, you don't need waste carrier licenses on reuse because it's technically cast as the same product. You're using the same product as you had before. So it reduces a lot of administration and paperwork for the construction firms. And um, what we were finding is architects, um, engineers were, were basically using us to help win tenders for future projects as well, because a lot of the new tenders coming out there are driving um, the construction industry to basically look at more sustainable supply chains, sustainable materials, sustainable design, and so on. So we um, we slipped into that. And, you know, if you're doing things like materials or um, modular buildings and so on, they were those data sets were actually quite useful for, for tenders. Um, very simple things, easy to use on the mobile and iPad, um, ability to add risk assessment and liabilities were included in our system. So we found um, a lot of the old legal systems in construction obviously we're there for a reason, uh, very strict policies on how people come onto construction sites, how they take materials, how they reuse them, how they pick them up. Um, so we, we added at a late, later stage um, a section to do with um, if people required to fill in risk assessment forms and um, provide liability docs or sign off waivers. And um, this was really important within construction because so you have like panes of glass, for example, um, could be quite problematic in the way people pick them up. They might smash and so on. So um, so people started to request risk assessment and liabilities, which is which is a really interesting um, uh, added feature, actually, that we added onto the site. And logistics, um, being able to know when something's been dispatched on its way was quite beneficial, specifically to do with timings on uh, construction projects or refurbs where there were tight windows when people could come and pick up things as well. Um, and also the global network. Having a global network, um, people would use it for one site and then they would go on to another project and they'd use it on a project. So you have this kind of like trusted referral system going as well. Um, one of the main areas, Brim, was one of the first things we kind of focused on in, in the built environment um, to help us kind of push uh, such a different model into the construction industry and help them with circular economy. And um, I'd say it probably took about a year talking to BRE and Brim and understanding the process. But um, it was actually BRE that came to us and said, you know, you can be recognized under innovation as well as the refurb. So that opened up um, extra credits that companies could um, utilize with us under Brium, and also it it allows people to be a bit more open minded in the in the construction firms because it hit their own personal KPI targets because a lot of the project managers will have those targets to hit for their teams. And um, the other thing that we um, started doing with um, uh, people in the construction sector was we used a, a REBA format. This is what architects use when they're implementing projects. And, um, and basically, we, did, we talked with them and we decided where would Globechain fit in into that process. So we identified um, in the planning, the execution, 
um, the allocation of the items, how you do it. So there was a very clear cut way of how somebody can implement um, something like Globechain into the construction industry. And I think it's really important to sit down with um, people in that sector to understand their way of working and see if your business or or if you're doing something or a service or a product can fit and implement and integrate into the existing models because trying to completely change a process won't happen overnight. And um, we're lucky enough because we are software, uh, we could basically be implemented at very similar stages of what people were already doing on um, uh, construction builds on that side. And I just wanted to share a couple of case studies on um, on things that we've done in the past. So this was a really interesting one. This was an old hotel. And um, I don't know if um, people who are based in London would know this in Mayfair, but it's called The Conduit. It was a private members club. And um, part of the tender for the contractors to take on the project from the client was everything internally when they, they ripped it out had to be reused sustainably. And everything that was going in new had to be sustainable, um, reused, upside and so on. It was actually um, a really complicated project for many reasons because the building that the hotel owned was part tenanted, part empty. It was like part hotel looking and and part office looking and people were moving out at different stages. So uh, we had to logistically, we had to um, uh, get companies and uh, charities picking up items before technically it became a legal construction site. And then afterwards, they were required to bring risk assessment, especially for this glass that you see at the top right-hand corner. Um, the pictures that you see below is actually where some of the stuff went to. So everything you see in the picture, apart from the um, toast advert on there, so the, the panelling, the flooring, the furniture, the kit, you can't see there's a kitchen there, um, the fire doors, they were all taken from this building. And this actually was a social enterprise that homes, um, it's, co it's working space for social impact and sustainable businesses, but 100% was reused and upcycled. So it's quite an amazing um, project to do. And also the other complication is um, up front, you couldn't park up and there was no back um, loading bay or anything like that. So storage was an issue here as well. Um, this um, this got a very, very high score for sustainability for the contractors when they were doing their um, compliance reporting on that side. And then this is the type of breakdown. So as you can see, it's not your typical kind of furniture. It was glass, carpets, doors, partitions were the most things. And at the bottom, I don't know if you can see it, but it was a real mix of like server units, chandeliers, pedestals, cabinets, um, and so on. So pretty much everything that can be reused um, was reused. Um, the only thing we don't do, by the way, is food and um, hazardous chemicals. And uh, obviously, people in the construction world would not um, list things like this anyway. And um, this is just two examples of how it helped um, a nonprofit. Um, one was for um, actually um, two of these companies that I've put here, two of these, uh, sorry, nonprofits uh, here actually um, take items and help with training and community development in Western Africa. So what we did was we got videos and um, uh, photos of where the items have gone and how they helped. So a bit of before and after. But as you can see, the usage by sector is quite varied um, and it gives great impact data for the, um, the client and the construction firm as well. 
Um, this is another one. So we have here, this is um, a, a new build developer that does new builds and the products that you see in the photos are actually all new items um, that either didn't fit in, excess products or um, something was wrong or just uh, they just had too many of them. Normally they would get disposed of incinerated um, or potentially some of the metals might be recycled, um, but the metal value, sometimes it's not worth them um, to get the money back on them. And um, the, the site uh, was complex. It required a CISC assessment, liability cover and special vehicles to come in. Um, people requested them and complied with the strict um, requests of the construction firm on here and the donations in the end ended up in six sectors disability mobility disaster recovery housing and so on um, and I've just put obviously a couple of the data metrics on how many people it helped there and just one of my final case studies before we go on to um, questions so feel free to start putting the questions in to the chat now. Um, I just want to show you a very simple kind of office refurb. So this is 29 floors in the city. It had 1,000 units of furniture. And at each phase, furniture was listed on the platform. Um, so here, the client's concerns were about speed, guarantee of people taking, and obviously the lack of storage because it was um, a quick project. Um, so basically, there were weekly phase listings on Globechain in advance. Um, there were cutoff periods, so we were super tricked strict on when people um, when people would uh, come and if people didn't request them where where the items would go afterwards um, and then obviously the data collected so in the end no storage was required because we broke it down in phases as well and um, the client managed to get rid of over 60 percent again um, in waste cost savings because they didn't have to hire skips or um, vans to come and take it away and store it so um, what have we really learned from working in the built environment and helping them move into circular economy? Um, I think definitely a conversation needs to be around forecasting and the cost of disposal and seeing where the budget comes from um, in those organizations for your innovations or whatever you may have. And on if, if you work in construction, it really is about understanding um, you know, if you're if you're taking on a type of service like, for example, Globechain could be under a tech budget, for example, or a software budget as well. Um, I think definitely you'd have to identify the materials to focus on. Um, construction is such a big area. I, I I personally think depending on the type of project it is, put your top five areas that you want to be zero waste from at the beginning, and then start finding solutions for those. Um, and then also identify all the alternatives um, for reuse predominantly because reuse is the simplest version of it and then work your way through the hierarchy there. And um, from a contractor perspective, we find uh, contractors actually are really good people to get on board because they're the ones that use the system and they have quite a good idea of how to implement it and where their challenges and problems are for themselves so they can discuss that with you. Um, and again, it's about reducing waste costs and time um, for them as well, as well as keeping to obviously health and safety. And from the client side, um, you know, when you're looking at this new innovation, really it should go into the tendering processes, whether it's a client tendering out for subcontractors to come on board and, and make them look at circular economy business models, or it's the other way around where the contractor is um, pitching in a tender and um, wants to differentiate themselves um, from that perspective as well. So 
I hope that was quite useful and gives you an insight into like the challenges and the reuse aspects of um, what we do in the built environment and from a circular economy perspective. Um, I'm going to come off the presentation now and hopefully you will be able to see me again. Christine's there as well. <laughs> great. Thank great. You. Thank you so Thank much, Mike. So really, really great Whistles Tops tour. I mean, it's amazing how much ground you've covered there. So um, we have a couple of questions already in. So one of them is whether you've had any uptake from the landscape sector about landscaping materials. Yes, that's really interesting. So um, the closest we've got actually is um, we do we, we've done a couple of railway tracks, and uh, and a couple of construction firms have given us a lot of soil to to kind of reuse, which is really interesting. And um, uh, we did um, um, something about a year ago with it was a lot of so I can't tell you how much this was. It was like a car park full of soil, but um, actually um, golf courses. So interesting, construction companies used to pay golf courses to take that soil and use it for hills and things like that and landscaping and we did a lot of research on soil and um, what constitutes kind of um, organic soil and not and, and all the implications of that um, but from a from a, a design landscape we haven't had that much but what's interesting is the taking members that have been taking it have been using it for regeneration gardens so we've had a couple of mayor regeneration parks um, in London and the Midlands area not obviously mayor it's the Midlands but um, but also as well we've had um, allotments so a lot of people with private allotments have taken things like concrete blocks or um, we, we've done plants, obviously, and, and soil and things like that, and gravel and things like that. So interestingly, the, uh, the demand for it's been on the taking side at the moment. But it's an interesting uh, question, actually. There's so many people doing land reclamation as they're doing their site and kind of, you know, having to dig holes to build towers. I imagine that there are people on the giving side who maybe don't even realize that that is a, a kind of a waste thing they can tap into. Yeah, absolutely, because um, there's a lot of soil rights and rubble <laughs> and things like that. So it, it's it, it, it's a big problem. And, and, you know, in the built environment, I know they pay a lot of money just to transport that away from sites. There's another question here about who, if anyone at all, claims carbon credits in the process. So interestingly, we don't do carbon credits. So we, we've been looking at this actually quite a lot from our ESG data stage. We, um, when we started building our data sets, it was very focused on social impact because what we realized very early on is um, if you like our com competition, very loosely termed competition indirectly, are waste companies, right? Because we're coming in before it's waste. So the idea is to reduce your waste costs. Um, but um, what we found was waste companies didn't have our type of data because we were collecting social, economic and environmental impact data. And waste com companies historically were looking at um, literally waste data stats, like how much they sent to recycling, how much they burned and where is it gone, uh, which landfill site. So. When we were talking to the companies that we deal with, even in the retail and construction, um, sorry, in the hospitality, um, the carbon side um, is actually quite complex. And, and you found that these companies actually had their own calculations for them. So, for example, for me, it's like if, if I took a pallet of something like bricks, 
where do I calculate that carbon from? Do I calculate it from the moment it was a, a brick or do I calculate it from when it was mined, you know, from a material and, and produced and all the water and energy and the labor and logistics? So it's quite complicated, but we have been looking at carbon embedded in products. Um, my only issue, and we we're still researching this, is you can take two algorithms for carbon and each one will bring out a different type of uh, metric for you. So it, it requires us to probably talk to construction go, which is your standardized way of working? And of course, we can build it in. What you can do is we obviously calculate the kilos diverted from landfill. So any company, when they bring the report in, they can take those kilos and obviously convert them into um, carbon emissions. But the carbon um, credit trading um, it, because it was it was a driver from um, uh, legis from the EU, right? So it was a very general way of how how to sell and offset carbon credits. It didn't really kick off. Like some people obviously made a lot of money out of it, but it's never really taken off. Um, and we think it's to do with the standardization of it being like for the whole of Europe. And it didn't take into consideration all the different anomalies, if you like, of it. So I think it's quite a different difficult one um the esg data could be traded like that um but um but for us the value in that data is usually with the analysts so what the analysts will do is they'll read a construction a built environment whoever an organization's report not only the sustainability but they'll look at like um, where their impacts are and they will have their own credit system and they'll be like okay their esg score is x for a comparison benchmark in the construction world. Um, therefore, the valuation of this business or their share price will go up by X amount. So that's how they do it. But it's not standardized ESG. It's very complex um, and it's a very big topic. Like we are a tiny bit of ESG, right? Where sustainability and waste and impact, where you've got ESG metrics for energy. And if you're an oil company, your ESG will be very different from a consulting firm and be more valuable to you probably than what a consulting firm has as well because of the nature of what you do. So you're not ruling out carbon, you're still working on it. It's just a work in progress in terms of that calculation. And, and it's not a carbon credit system, but maybe you'll be able to get some kind of information yeah, about carbon embedded. Yeah, yeah. carbon embedded, yeah. Um, carbon credits is a traded, um, you know, not a derivative, but it's a traded, uh, system and you do that through a foreign exchange a financial instrument uh, for carbon credit but you can take your data and use that for sure so um there's a question here from kathy gibbs there are different wastes arising from construction activities demolition and deconstruction there's packaging around new materials and components there's excess materials um and then there's uh packaging and you know and but these can sometimes be designed out in terms of package packaging and ordering too much material and do you is that something that you advise uh that people design that out first or are you brought in it yeah yeah i know absolutely like i mean in an ideal world in the next couple of years i think we'll see it you know definitely there's been a surge in circular economy and construction actually has been the biggest taker on that so if anyone's driving it it is the built environment because they know they have to change because uh, there's so much cost involved but ultimately like if you're an architect 
look at things from a sustainable angle source and think how can you design modular, how can you design uh, a building or whatever it is you're, you're doing, the project in the most sustainable way because there's so many businesses offering sustainable materials, you know, services, everything. It, 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 it's, it's almost too much, but it's about having your favorites, if you like, and in, integrating that in your plans. But at the same time, on the, you know, when the engineers get involved, uh, they will have their favorites and how they're going to do that. But it's a communication thing between everybody, right? And then the project manager. So I think it will get there. Um, and packaging is an interesting one because we've had a lot of um, companies in construction ask us, can you do the plastic on the sheeting and um, and actually weirdly metals? And uh, before it surprised me because um, I was thinking, well, don't you recycle them? You know, because, you know, when people say oh, we're zero waste, ultimately it's because they're recycling most of it. And actually underneath that, you can actually incinerate as well. It's classed under recycling if you can't recycle it. So that's, that's a legislation challenge in the wording there. But that's how people operate at the moment. And it's legal. Right. They, 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 that's how they do it. But what we were finding is people actually weren't really interested in recycling anymore. They wanted us to like reuse the plastic, which is interesting for us. Um, at the moment, we don't. But having said that, you know, we've had timber wood blocks. We've had metal on there and people have taken it and used it for upcycling projects, you know, because we have designers, artists, you know, even architect students when they're, you know, building small modules and things like that. Um, so it's been really interesting to hear what the demand is out there. I don't think there's a complete answer to it yet. And the problem you have is there are solutions for plastic reuse or upcycling, but they're all done on a very localized, non-industrial scale. And the problem you have is if you were a small business and you wanted to pick up that because you need that plastic, it's almost not commercially viable. It's not scalable for you yet. And, and as a construction company, you, they wouldn't um, necessarily give those small amounts to one provider. You need big, big amounts for it to make a difference for you. Um, so there's a couple of, I see, obstacles there. But in the future, I think, you know, it will sort itself out. But we're, we're in a funny era at the moment. It's like, you know, the pioneers are all doing something. It's not, it's not quite there, but people are pushing it and it will happen, but it, it needs people to get on board and take a bit of risk on innovation for sure. Would you target that legislation, that legislation that allows people to incinerate? Is that something that you'd like to see changed? Yeah, I've actually spoken to, um, we wouldn't lobby ourselves because obviously we work with a lot of companies. So, um, you know, there's a bit of a stigma with lobbying, but what, what we could do is have those companies support us pushing, um, I believe, two areas, one with the taxation, the VAT, you know, to motivate companies in the built environment, make it more commercially viable for them to reuse and, and use up and utilize these types of sustainable materials or being able to reuse on other sites rather than penalize them and they can't get their money back. You know, that's the reason if you look in the market, it's cheaper to demolish a building than gut it out and refurb it. And it's a taxation thing, mostly to do a taxation. So, you know, I, I think that um, from a legal po policy driver side, and for sure what you just mentioned, um, helping on that side, I, I think would really, re really help. Um, but unfortunately, as an entrepreneur, I've never seen anything where the government takes lead and drives something. It's usually a couple of companies do something and push the boundaries a little bit, and then government catches up <laughs> on that side.
Where have you seen reticence in take up? Are there some uh, parts of the industry working in, in construction or fit out? I mean, I know that some of the people that you work with, they're retailers or restaurant chains. Um, and so they've got, you know, they've got a, a turn of a steady turnover of stuff. But is there like a, a an area that you think I wish they were more engaged with us? I wish they would um, call it. Um, interesting. I'd say I mean, if you think of construction, it covers like all the sectors we cover. So even in retail, what you don't know is they refurb the stores a lot. Like every time you see some new visual merchandise or some fixtures, they've moved things around and carpets and everything. There's a lot of waste that comes out of it and it sits under you know, their real estate department or facilities, right? Um, hospitality and restaurants, um obviously they've got problems at the bigger problems at the moment but they do refurbs every five years you know that's a big construction job with subcontractors but i think if anything i think um it's useful to um third-party warehouses you know that store or the construction material could be a very interesting one and even the man we don't actually talk to many manufacturers of construction materials because there there is a lot of waste Right. Um, so it's interesting to see where all that goes. And, you know, there's no challenge around kind of timing or storage there as well. So that's quite an interesting one. So people very deep in the supply chain of construction, uh, like the forgotten, the forgotten suppliers. Um, I say they're interesting. And then also people and um, not at the moment, but like events, companies, theatres, film sets, uh, they dispose of a lot of things. They build a lot of things and dispose of it because uh, there's no outlet. So I'd say th those areas are quite interesting, but also I'd, I'd love the bigger industrial type companies like the oil rigs and um, more manufacturing um, for sure. I think we can, we've done some some crazy things. We've done an air bridge for an airport and we thought it would never go. Uh, it was under construction. And um, these air bridges are super expensive and really complicated to pull out. And we found um, a guy in the north of England who actually buys plane parts and converts them into hotel rooms. And uh, and just before lockdown, he was saying he could take one. So we had three. And, you know, like it's, a, it's kind of fun to see what else. We had a water valve and we were like, who's going to take a water valve? It was huge, really big heavy metal kind of feature <laughs> and um, an apprenticeship social enterprise in Birmingham picked them up and created, um, taught young um, young kids to basically upcycle them into coffee tables. So, you know, that's an upskilling employment, it's skill sets. So some really, we love having the weird things as well to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. I was always, um, I'm surprised about the medical uh, reuse because we think of medical as not being able to use. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things in the medical industry that have? Yes, that's really interesting. So um, one, an NHS trust was one of the first clients we had on board five years ago. And I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, the um, you can't reuse medical equipment in the UK. And that is to do with policy and compliance. So if I gave you my if I broke my leg last year and, and I've got my crutches and I give you them because you've broken your leg this year, God forbid. Right. You could sue me because a you're not trained on the crutches. It's not your height. And you could sue me. And that's the reason um, most hospitals, if you, I don't know if you've noticed, but they will always say keep your crutches because otherwise they dispose of them and they just incinerate the lot. And every six months, obviously, they have to change furniture, curtains to stop contamination. So this is perfectly 
super expensive patient beds, you know, like medical bins, brand new. And, and, and also they, they buy excess stock. So when you have a crisis, okay, not Corona, but say like Ebola crisis, when Ebola happened, they will stock up with Ebola medical equipment and goods and have it stored somewhere just in case we, we, we have a pandemic like that. Right. And then, they, but when they don't use it and the crisis is, you know, low risk, they have to move that out because they don't have much storage. So all that stuff you can't reuse in the UK. So what we did was we um, partnered because legislation is obviously a lot looser in other countries, not just the UK. We have um, charities in predominantly Western Africa, like you mentioned, so Sierra Leone, Guinea, Kenya, Ghana. We do Ukraine, Libya, Poland and Beirut now. And basically we have, there's representatives of these charities here. They will pick it up. And they get obviously discounted shipping and cargo and they ship it over. And we've um, uh, collected case studies and videos of them rebuilding hospitals in predominantly rural areas where they can't buy this equipment or it's too expensive. Um, and it, it's quite kind of heartwarming to see, like, you know, you expect um, things like that. So that's been happening. Uh, we've also seen stuff going in orphanages and um, schools that tend to be the three things um, when we redistribute abroad at the moment. But it's the charities doing it also. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> but I think what's amazing about those stories is can you think, oh, medical, you can't reuse that. But a lot of that is like chairs or, or, or cabinets, bedside cabinets. I mean, it's really stuff that's actually really very good. Yeah, we had um, a retailer, um, they gave away a thousand pedestals, you know, the metal two drawer things that nobody ever uses anymore, it's just underneath your desks. And uh, we had a refugee charity take them and actually use them as uh, clothing drawers for the camps. So it just shows you like the creativity and, and interestingly, pedestals actually are quite highly sought after. They're one of our top um, items to be taken off the site, bizarrely, because <laughs> uh, we don't use them anymore, right? But um, they're really expensive and they're metal. So, you know, they're very durable. Um, those things, lockers and fire doors are very, very popular and very expensive and obviously complicated to, 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 um, to, to manufacture, basically. And ceiling tiles, you know, the um, gridded commercial ceiling tiles that you get in buildings, they're the most popular with obviously carpet and flooring, any type, really. Um, and I guess we should just be clarified, the charity doesn't have any cost for the item itself, but no. in terms, but there is a cost of transportation. Yeah, and I'll tell you why we did this. Um, so we did a lot of study at the beginning on free stuff, when people take free stuff. So a lot of people obviously know of Gumtree and, and potentially free cycle and it's for the domestic market. So it's for me and you to give away our sofa for example, um, what you find with those sites is people don't respect free sometimes, or we're just so used to getting free stuff now, you don't turn up, you don't, you know, like you just waste, there's a lot of time wasters, unfortunately, as well as good people out there. So what we found was we give the item that's very valuable free to the charities, um, but everybody who requests the stuff has to pay for the logistics. And that does two things. It makes them really think if they need the item and they only take what they really need. And B, they make a commercial decision about it. So, you know, some of the logistics is quite expensive because you're doing like curtain trailer lorries, you know, for pallets of things. Like we did um, 
13,000 kitchen pallets, right? But those kitchens were brand new and they're worth a lot of money. So the charity probably paid a couple hundred pounds for a lorry, right? But that was worth it to them because they probably saved 30,000 pounds in kitchens um, on the back of that. So that psychology allows basically the commitment from the person that's taking it for free. And um, we find that there's a touch wood that even this year there's had, we've had no, no shows on the back of people just not showing up for no reason. Do you know, um, the, the only no show is probably when a, a lorry breaks down, but usually they're calling up to apologize, you know? Um, so, so we find actually there's a really high rate of uh, people will come when they've paid, they'll come. And I think the other problem this solves is one of storage, because I know there's a lot of people working in reuse and they talk about, I want to take this stuff, but where do I put it while I'm waiting for someone else to take it? So in terms of the, the storage, maybe talking. Yeah, that's complete kind of behavior change, the, my, my thing about behavior change. So if you think about Globe Chain as a model, we're a marketplace and we're virtual. So what we say, particularly in construction, is you know when you're going to rip something out or you're giving it away. So say like what we're on with 11th today. Say you know on Monday you're ripping out flooring on third floor, right? You don't have to list that on the day you're ripping it out. You take a photo virtually and list it today and give yourself a period of three days. As I said, 24 hours to request items. Most people, people you'll know in three days if people want it. And then you can make your decision on whether to hold it. And you tell people to come on the day that you may rip it out, right? And then if they don't, then obviously find other disposal. And it, it once you start getting into that kind of flow and implementation, it actually comes easy. But it's the psychology of understanding that we're virtual. So you can put this on three months in advance if you want you know, and just tell someone to pick up three months in advance. I, I, would, I wouldn't suggest it, but, you know, a week or two is enough for most people. But, you know, some people we have, um, we work with Nando's and the restaurant chain and, you know, they close their restaurant for one day only because obviously they're losing money, right? So they can't click, keep the restaurants and they have a very tight ship on how they refurb and bring in all the contractors. So, you know, when people are requesting stuff, they have to come between nine and 10 in the morning, but the contractors on the site that use us know how to use us because they've been using us for five years. So they know that they, they know the charities and they know how they turn up and their behavior. So they, they know how to use the system. And I think it's, you can bespoke that for yourself in that way. Um, other people will have like a backup storage place, like for 24 hours. And, um, and some people actually have warehouses. It just depends on your setup. But if you're going to be really tight and stressed, <laughs> stressed out, the best way is virtually list it and give yourself, okay, I'm only going to keep it on blockchain for three days. And if I don't book anyone in, I'll, I'll, I'll revert back to my usual method. Yeah, and, and I, I think the other, this idea of finding a, a gap in the market that you've done where you've said, you know, here's, here's a problem. I've got people who need stuff. I've got people who've got stuff. How am I going to get this to work? Do you have any tips for other people who may have great ideas and they want to, um, to actually take that to fruition about in those early stages when you're talking to people, when you're trying to put this together about how to, to test their idea? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning of the presentation, I only spent £800 on the first Globe Chain site. Like, it was rubbish, <laughs> right? Um, and I think there's this expectation of making something look really beautiful and fully functional from day one. But I wouldn't do it. Don't waste your time and money. Don't assume people want something that's not there. Like, you know, we've lasted four years with no carbon, right? And the industry now is like, oh, we want carbon. And for us, it's easy to implement. Do you know? But at the beginning, you know, go and speak to a couple of potential clients and go, would you use the system and can we test? And, you know, you will have to do it for free. We did it free for the first year. Um, I did 60 stores, fixtures and fittings for free. But don't forget when I first had the idea of Globe Chain, it was about office furniture, right? So I naively went to one of the largest retailers and went, have you got any office furniture? What's your problem? And they said, we haven't got a problem with office furniture. We've got a problem with fixtures and fittings in the stores. And then that opened up a completely different area for us. And then obviously where we are today now. So I think don't assume things. I think go in asking lots of questions. And I think a lot of people these days don't listen to, to corporates because corporates can really help. Like we, we started making money before investment, before getting VC funding. So it was bootstrapped for four years and the money came from the pioneering companies that, that backed us. And I think just be really honest with them. You know, say you're small and you're testing, you know, people are very open to, to, to try new things. But um, in construction, every time we came across a challenge, we tried to solve it. And then we'd go back to all the construction people and go, would you use it if we did this? Would you use it if we did this? Would you use it if we did this? And then we're like, okay, we're going to build it and test it with somebody. And then we would put that part as our sales sales um, pitching, you know, going forwards. And then you see how many people go, oh, that's great. It's not blah, blah, blah. Um, that's if you're doing tech, obviously. If you're doing products, you have to probably go about it a little bit differently and do a prototype and um, and test it somewhere and get the, get the sign off legally as well on the product side. There's a question around um, from Romy Rollins at Vestra. She says they're manufacturing furniture that has no life limitation. So, you know, it's the idea is it's going to last forever and they're offering a rental option. Do you see that approach elsewhere? Are you seeing the approach of renting materials elsewhere? And do you think that may be um, something that would happen in the future to prevent waste? Yeah, so I've seen a couple of startups try and do rental models as marketplaces in the past. Uh, they've not kicked off, I'm assuming, because of funding. It's quite like not to underestimate the complexity of building a marketplace, right? But I, I think definitely there's a future in this rental. Um, a lot more of the younger generation, millennials, Gen Zs, uh, they're very into not owning products, which is great. So I think the rental market... When, when I was young, I used to rent my video player. So that's how old I am. <laughs> but as a student, I used to rent my video player. So, you know, I think that type of thing's coming back um, as well. I've seen, I don't know if anybody knows, but IKEA actually last year announced they were doing 30 stores for loaning. Um, again, that's to consumers to loan you furniture. Um, I question that interestingly because IKEA is very low um, cost. And so the quality of the furniture would have to be upgraded in order for you, it to be worth a loaning. Um, so I don't know what, how that's gone. Um, but um, with our system, we do loaning internally um, in our system. But that is for products that already exist, if that makes sense, um, not from a manufacturer. But I think if a manufacturer has that part of the loaning and they can take it back and give it more warranties, that's a really big um, plus, particularly in construction. I know a couple of people, you know, when they've taken out legacy um, materials, they've contact, they've made the effort and contacted the manufacturer of that product and said, can you reissue a warranty of it? And can you basically 
fix it up to be new again. And um, some of the manufacturers have said yes, and I think that's really smart of them because um, it's it, you know it's 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 bringing it circular to them. So if there's someone in the audience who's a project coming up, a one-off project, maybe they're not a retailer, where do they start with you? Do they call you up to kind of get some guidance about how it works or what yeah, you suggest? Absolutely. Yeah, just um, you can contact me, reach out to me, or you can just go on the site. There's a contact us form. Go in and just put your basic details and we'll contact you and uh, we'll, we'll give you more information on how you can implement it. Um, if it's like a tiny project, one or two items, you can just register and use pay as you go. But if it's a a bigger construction project, have a chat with us first. And the way you're weighing it up is basically this is going to be waste. You're going to have to pay to have it taken away. So it's usually those items that really you've got in such a volume that you're going to be hiring a skip or you're going to be hiring um, some kind of, um, of, of haulage. And this is an alternative way of you to make it uh, circular and more um, economical and more environmental. Yeah, it's reducing landfill ultimately, um, hopefully saving you waste costs because it will come probably under that budget but um it's stuff that generally you shouldn't be disposing of because people can use it somewhere brilliant you know what i just want to really thank you for sharing your story with me i really love these new solutions to uh, to a problem that we're kind of dealing with right now and i do think that with our awareness of embodied carbon in construction there's really a need to reuse a lot of these materials that are very good and to find each other so i know that you're about um finding each other so thank you very much for being at the festival round of applause and emojis please everyone thanks for listening our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.